Hi, and welcome to the Red Tunic Podcast, a podcast where I look to rediscover what makes gaming fun and enjoyable by having positive conversations with those related to the industry. My name is Link, and today I'm joined by Zan, creator of the game Head on Bloodright. Hi, Zan. How are you doing today? Hey, hey. Uh, I'm doing just fine. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking. Um, so, Zan, before we get started, if you don't mind, maybe tell me, my listeners, whomever, a little bit about yourself, just so we have a, we know who you are. Well, I'm Zan, which is uh, more or less coincidentally the name of the protagonist of my video game. Uh, and I made Head-On, which started off as a, a mod for Doom, and it kind of escalated into a fully commercial project. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the gist of it. Uh, I did study architecture. I was never professionally trained in game design, so it's something that I sort of learned by myself, uh, along with uh, other helpful things like uh, digital art and sound editing and all that good stuff. And you know, that's that's a really interesting. Uh an interesting place to start or to to go from before making before making games and i i'm you know i'm sure you've been asked this a lot and i do apologize if this is like one of those questions where you're you're tired of it so please forgive me and humor me i suppose uh but you know using gz doom now i'm not overly familiar with like the full um what have you surrounding it i do know that uh it's it's come a long way but what what was it that made you like you said you started it was a meant originally meant to be a, a mod for doom uh you know was was it a matter of you liking what you were doing and you wanted to like continue making it or did you just sort of keep making a mod and it just sort of grew into this huge project uh well to be fair uh i put the base of the project somewhere around the uh, 2009 uh that's when i kind of started imagining my dream game you know as uh, people do and uh obviously having no real game dev knowledge especially programming knowledge i was uh, content with it just being like a, a dream like uh, you know just something that i would fantasize about so uh along the ages i i sort of like kept uh, developing this uh, this thread of thoughts um and eventually, I uh, discovered Doom mods. Uh, and the thing about Doom mods is that with a lot of them, they're made by like usually just one person. And uh, I was playing Brutal Doom. I'm one of those guys that got into Doom mods via Brutal Doom. And that was just uh, amazing. Like, uh, I, was, I was mind blown by it, uh, you know. It cranked everything up to 11, and uh, during that time where AAA shooters were kind of lame, uh, it really felt like something else. And the moment I realized that uh, it was basically made by one guy uh, with help from a bunch of people, I was like, hold on a moment, so you're telling me that you can actually make something like this without... Because I knew that uh, Sergeant Mark IV didn't have... Uh, professional game dev uh, training either so i was like hold on a moment uh, there's something onto this and uh, yeah uh, that determined me to get into gz doom modding and try to learn more about it 
Uh, it is pretty difficult for someone who has absolutely no game design knowledge, no programming knowledge to sort of like start grasping what's going on and understand the inner workings of a game. Um, but hey, uh, I was really determined to, to learn more about it. And see, that's, that's the, I think, one of the most important things when you want to be a solo dev. It's like finding an example that works, you know, because it, it relates to you the fact that you can do it yourself. Uh, oftentimes I see indie devs struggling with this. It's like they, they start off a project and they just don't finish it really, or they lose themselves uh, along the way. But since I had a pretty clear idea of what I want to make with head-on, uh, that wasn't the case. And it was very useful to keep me motivated to learn. Uh, because again, it, it was really difficult for, it's very difficult for someone to, who has no, uh, let's say, formal knowledge, no experience to just go ahead and do it. Uh, so yeah, uh, there you go. You can, you can basically say that I had a good example for it. I had a good idea in mind of what I want to make and, uh, I started off, you know, making it bit by bit, uh, and eventually it just uh, kept going and people were actually pretty interested in the project. Um, and uh, another important thing that I should mention is that Head-On was not, uh, it was a Doom mod, but it wasn't designed as a Doom mod. Uh, I did impose this rule upon myself that I want Head-On to be a game that's a commercial from a, from a legal standpoint. So I didn't want to use assets uh, that don't belong to me. Uh, I, I strived to make it uh, fully original, although I knew that I was not going to commercialize it. And this is why uh, Head-On became one of the first commercial games to use the engine. Uh, it's because when I was close to finishing the development, uh, they just made some changes to the, the GZDOOM license and it was it basically got rid of some uh, dependencies of having to use the, the Doom mod itself. And that essentially helped me get home run with the, the publishing. It's like, uh, you know, there's no more uh, legal impediment to it. So uh, why not, you know, let's just uh, publish it as a game. And that was a really good choice because obviously, you know, when you, when you put your game on Steam, and this is another useful piece of advice for any indie devs listening, you're gonna get a lot of coverage. It's it's not necessarily about the money or the sales. It's just about the attention that you're gonna get. Uh, I see a lot of indie devs who insist on publishing on itch, which is also what I did, itch.io. Uh, it's a great platform. It's very easy to use, but unfortunately not a whole lot of people care about it. So I think that's the, the moment that mattered the most for head-on. It's uh, when I published it on Steam. Uh, because you don't get only a lot of attention, but also a lot of feedback. And I guess that's kind of like the moment where uh, I realized that, you know, if I want to do this, I have to be a lot more serious. I have to, to have higher standards. And I started, you know, patching stuff, uh, taking in feedback, uh, doing all sorts of things. And, uh, you know, the game just kept going. So, uh, you know, this is uh, in 2019. And... Uh, in the meantime, I've also released the sequel, which is head on blood, right? And uh, yeah, that's the, the gist of it. And, you know, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I, I found it really interesting because, you know, what you said is correct. Now, I'm not, I shouldn't say what you said is correct, sorry. Um, from what I've seen, what you said is correct. And by that, I mean, from the amount of, like, 
Doom mods or what have you that I've seen, most of them are are relying heavily on um, Doom assets or the the you know the, in, the built in wads or what have you, right? And you know, for you to go to that extent to ensure that everything you're doing would not be reliant on um, you know assets that you wouldn't be able to to have ownership of or what have you, uh, as well as the fact that your game doesn't feel like doom and by that i mean like it's and i'm sure other people have said like the exact same thing in that when when i was when i you know when i played when i played head on there's no like if you if you didn't tell me that it was you know built on gz doom i would not have i would not have thought that uh like there it's 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 just wild the amount of stuff that it's doing that does not feel like doom um and i know that's kind of like floaty and vague to 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 say especially for people that might not be really aware of you know um even the smaller amounts of the like doom modding scene but you know for anyone that that's aware like i imagine they also or that would mean more to them to say like it's it's wild how little this game actually feels like it has the restrictions or the constraints of 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 doom in general um so i just think i just want to say that like that's that's it's pretty awesome what you've been able to achieve with it and it's you know it's just it's just it's just great it's fantastic i know i stuttered there but anyway yeah this is actually something that's pretty important and uh, you know we are being taught this in uh, in architecture school as well uh, in regards to restoration especially uh, there's this concept of uh, pastiche which basically refers to you trying to recreate uh, an, a piece of art from a, an older age uh, with modern equipment and just uh, reproducing it like a one-to-one -one scale or something like that like uh, you know it, going to paint like some medieval church paintings with uh, you know acrylics and stuff it's just kind of like you don't do that you know it's like artistically a bad idea and philosophically it's a bad idea it's like you're reproducing something against uh, the definition of the time you know every piece of art is a reflection of a, a period of time so this is something that i've been kind of concerned with uh, with doom because uh um I am essentially using a fan-updated ancient engine, but at the same time, I wanted to keep head-on within the parameters of Doom. And uh, this also helped a lot with me being able to stick to the project and see it through because I knew from the beginning what I wanted. Like I wanted, uh, you know, the combat and the weapons uh, that rely, you know, I didn't want to do anything outside of Doom's scope. Uh, I wanted it to be like a simplistic retro FPS uh, with, some bells and whistles like for example the the inventory system from uh, hexen uh and of course some uh, readables and some puzzles but again those are fully doable with just the resources that i had within the engine it's not i didn't have to make any sort of like additions to it or uh, use it for something that it's just not meant to be used for uh, and you know that's something that people who consider this engine should keep in mind you can do some very impressive stuff with it you know there's a total chaos uh, which kind of like showcases just how you can pretty much use gz doom to make like a, a very realistic looking game very atmospheric with like you know detailed 3d models and stuff like that 
but uh, you know you might encounter some issues trying to use the engine for that purpose. So I, you know it's uh, important to know your tools and uh, to use them for what they were supposed to make. Uh, so yeah, in that regard, I'm actually glad that you think that head-on stands out uh, because uh, that's exactly what I wanted. Like I wanted to make something using simple tools. It's relatively a simple game because that's what I like about these uh, older games. But at the same time, it's uh, I guess it does uh, stand out uh, from the regular Doom mod and Doom DC. Yeah, and you know I I I wish you the best luck in the future with whatever projects you you might do if they are based on GZ Doom, um, again or what have you. Just because you know if if you were able to achieve like based on you know what I've seen with Head On and what you know how it how it presents itself. I'm sure that if you, you know, whatever your next project will be, will also be um, as, uh, uh, I don't know if unique is the right, I'm sure it'll stand out just as much. Um, I'm just going to go with that. I think that's the easiest way to avoid, <laughs> avoid trying yeah. to pick the words. Yeah, I, I have actually, like this year, I decided to pick up Unity and oh boy, I did not like it. Uh, it's like, it's, uh, uh, it's, I think I'd best describe it as it's very alienating and uh, I don't know, man. It's like, I'm thinking how people just get into game dev, just using unity. It's like, um, I don't know. It's GC Doom has this advantage of like easing you into it and sort of like giving you a lot of useful tools and, uh, it already has like the, the methods and the functions and the scripts sort of like uh, prepared for you to just implement them it's more like an interface rather than a, a blank canvas kind of like how unity is you know you just boot it up and uh you i'm talking about unity now it's like a blank canvas and you're like well, where do i start it's it's very alienating whereas gz doom offers you a, a really nice level editor it uh you know you can just start off by making a doom map you have the textures you have the monsters you have some weapons uh, you can just switch off to your own assets. So it's very, I don't know, it's very beginner friendly, I guess. Once you get over that initial hop where you have to kind of understand how a, a game functions on a fundamental level, you know, how the, the code communicates with the assets and with the engine and so on and so forth. So yeah, uh, but uh, obviously, you know, now that I'm doing this full time, I have to, to make some progress. I, like, I don't want to stick with GZ Doom for my entire life. Because, you know, I don't want to be that dev who makes one game and that's it. As much as I love head-on, I just have to to branch out a bit and try something else. Because if I get stuck with this, it's not going to be good. So, uh, yeah, I am actually working on two projects right now. Uh, I'm no longer going to be using Unity. Uh, I have discussed this with, the, with my programmer, because I did hire a programmer. And uh, we decided to go with Godot. Uh, instead of Unity for a number of reasons, but it's still like a big boy engine. It's not uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, GZ Doom. As much as I love it, it's gonna have to take a break. However, I am still working on a secondary project that's gonna be, let's say, related to it. And unfortunately, I can't talk too much about them. Uh, I did tease them both, but uh, I just don't have a lot. I mean, this year has been, I don't know, it's been a mess. Uh, you know, going from, uh, I had this like very focused work pacing. It's like, you know, wake up, work on head on, 
like I knew exactly what I had to do that day, you know, just mapping, whatever, spriting, sound design, uh, just work all day long and go to sleep and then repeat the cycle. <laughs> but uh, now I'm like, uh, you know, I'm having to coordinate with other people, which is like, uh, it's going to be a great experience. I'm really glad I, I decided to pair up with a programmer for this project. And with the secondary project, I'm also paired up with someone. So it's I'm no longer a solo dev per se. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a, a change of pace, and you know, there's also the I don't know. I, I've I've been very distracted in general this year because uh, I had to learn like new stuff. I had to I actually started off right in January. I was like, you know, as soon as the the new year starts, I'm gonna pick up 3D modeling. So I picked up Blender, and I started making some characters for it, and it's actually going pretty well. I really like uh, what I got so far, and. Uh, yeah, I also tried to to learn more about Unity and learn more about programming, but I realized that uh, it's just a pointless. Like, I could technically do it the same way I learned Jizzy Doom, but it's just gonna take too long, and unfortunately, I don't have that time. Uh, and speaking of, you know, there's there's also like a lot of exterior pressures that have made this uh, this year kind of a nightmare for me. Like, uh, you know, uh, the impending uh, economic crisis or uh, you know the war going on right next door so uh yeah that doesn't help uh, i've been really stressed up this year but uh yeah you got to deal with it you just got to deal with it <laughs> yeah you know i i can say i understand from the economical standpoint i uh i cannot fathom the amount of stress or worry that you would have um living so close to uh, I'm just going to say it as it is like an active war zone. So, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I wish for the best of your safety for your mental and physical health. Um, you know, fingers crossed that things, I, I don't know the right way to say that they resolve themselves. So I'm just going to say fingers crossed that things resolve themselves. Um, I'm sure there's a much more nuanced, uh, way to approach that or a way to phrase that, but I am not the person to know that nuance uh well you know if you're a, if you're a i guess like a self-employed because uh, yeah you have if, you know if you want to make a uh, indie games you're gonna be self-employed really and you have to consider these things like you have to be prepared for them and uh you know it's just uh, very distracting i wish things were going better but uh, unfortunately we have to brace for this uh but uh, all things considered i am pretty confident that we can pull this through like unless we have some uh, wacky hyperinflation that renders me completely bankrupt and unable to pay my the people i work with then i should be fine so yeah but uh, still i have to prepare for this uh, and i have been investing some time uh, into just generally getting prepared you know because it's time like this when you you realize that all you really have is your own skills and whatever assets you have on you. Because, you know, if electricity goes down, if you're on the road, uh, there's no more, you know, essentially all your funding is some digits on a virtual bank account. Like, I don't know, man, it's, it's uh, times like these really make you reconsider your priorities in life. So uh, I have been essentially forced by, by the circumstances to invest some time into preparing myself for the worst. So. That's also not very helpful for uh, developing a game. But uh, again, it is what it is, and uh, we'll see what happens. There's yeah. Open for 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like I said, I, I wish you the best for, for, for all of that, just because it's, it's definitely a, um, it's definitely not something that's, that's fun. And, you know, I, if, if I may, I'd like to, I'd like to ask about a few other things. And just because you had mentioned, you know, coming from, uh, from architecture, uh, going like, going to school for architecture, uh, and then, you know, moving to modding for GZ Doom, uh, then to Unity, then to Godot, or at least, you know, what you've worked with or experimented with, I guess you would say. Uh, but how, like, how did you get down the path into making or developing, like, games? Like, how, what, what got you from, you know, from there, from going to Architect to, to making games and all of that? Well, quite frankly, I didn't really like architecture. Uh... It's uh, it's really not fun. Uh, I know it looks like it's fun from the outside, but once you're like three three years in the university, you're like already fed up with it. So I guess that helped. And um, the other thing that helped was that you know I sort of like did both. Like I I sort of developed head-on in parallel with uh, studying. So that helped me have a foothold with it. You know I released it when I was close to finishing school, and I saw that it had a lot of success like unexpected unexpectedly and uh i was like you know i could probably just do this for a living uh, but you know once you do something for a living it's always a good idea to start improving and uh, you know that's why i decided to take this more seriously and learn more tools like for example blender right now which is something that i wasn't very familiar with and uh yeah, uh, switching to different engines because you you know if you want to do this for a living, you're gonna have to broaden your uh, spectrum. Uh, you never know what happens, so it's it's good to to gather as much skill as you can, uh, even if it's very again uncomfortable and difficult. Uh, you just have to, I guess, steal yourself and do it. Uh, I don't know. I just think it's a good idea to go with, go to approach it like this. So uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess my motivation was that I really liked doing this. Uh, and at the end of the day, in a way, I'm still, you know, creating like a physical architectural world because you might have noticed that uh, a lot of the places in Head-On look not necessarily realistic, but uh, realistically functional, uh, as opposed to a lot of retro FPS, which just um, make these sort of like abstract geometric spaces. I tend to have a more uh, realistic approach to head-on, which uh, a lot of people have appreciated so far. Although, uh, in some cases, it does feel like a strange psychological limitation because uh, I do play other games and I see like these wonky spaces that make no functional sense, but they're nice and, you know, they look interesting. And I'm like, I wish I could make these like crazy areas without having a voice in my in the back of my head screaming that it's it's so wrong and I shouldn't be doing that because it makes no sense. And this is a habit that I'm actually trying to break with the, the current games that I'm working on. Or rather the current game. Because, uh, uh, spoiler for the other one, I won't be doing a lot of level design. So, uh, yeah, essentially the main project that I'm working on right now is like an immersive simulator. And I, I suppose you'd like to talk about this a bit. Uh, as I said, I can't reveal too much about it. I have occasionally teased some details on Twitter, uh, namely the fact that it's going to be centered around the dwarves from Head-On, so it's going to be in the same universe as Head-On. Uh, and it's 
primarily inspired by Thief and by Arx Fatalis. Uh, and no, it's not going to be very similar to Gloomwood, because <laughs> I know people are going to be curious about that. Uh, I did hear the, the interview with uh, Dylan. So, uh, yeah, I, I've been pretty excited to see how Gloomwood does. I hope it does really well, because, uh, yeah, uh, who knows? Maybe the same way we had like a retro FPS resurgence, we might have a, a retro Imsim insurgence as well. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, I will say this, that I am not fully aware. Well, let me, let me roll back a little bit. Um, I can agree that a retro, like an Imsim resurgence would be wonderful. And I, I've discussed this previously. I think it was with, with Dylan, the, the developer of Gloomwood, that I, I asked him of this. Um, if not him, it was someone else, and I'm just not remembering who, but it was, you know, whether or not the, the market, uh, was maybe not the market, the, the people, I guess, uh, were ready for more M Sims, like more of, of that. And if, if that's the route you're going as well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because, you know, for me personally, I was a little too young when M Sims were, were big when they first came out, you know, I, I didn't quite grasp Thief. I didn't quite grasp System Shock. Um, and for me, it was when Deus Ex came out that I was just old enough to actually understand how all the systems interacted, how everything played out, like just the, the cohesive nature of it. Um, and, you know, it's some some of the older M-Sims, it's harder to go back and get into. You know, there's System Shock has a nice patch, or System Shock 2, sorry, has a nice patch that modernizes it to a, to a sense. I'm putting modernizing in, you know, air quotes there. And, you know, I'm, if, if you're moving towards making an M-Sim as well, I think that's, that's fantastic because it, it, for people like me that were just on the cusp of not being at the right age for it or not for people that aren't able to fully enjoy the older i'm gonna say um the older jankiness of the the games jankiness isn't the right word um um but i'm just clunkiness i'll say clunky yeah i know it's more appropriate yeah. uh the clunkiness of some of the old games just of how they moved like just everything um I think it's fantastic if that's what you're working towards. And I, to me, that says there's, if you're doing it, if like that, you know, that there's probably lots of people that are looking at the whole MSIM genre now. And I think that's great because um, it's, you know, there's, there's a market for it. And I, I hope that, I hope that you find success moving towards that um, just because MSIMs are, are, are pretty interesting. They're pretty fantastic. And, you know, having, more of having more of them is never bad when there's going to be an audience you know like we saw years ago with the the explosion of roguelikes for example and a lot of people suddenly went oh hey i like roguelikes um you know uh, for me for example like i i had tried playing traditional roguelikes and i was not really able to grasp them to enjoy them but as i got older and the more um non-traditional roguelikes started coming out i was able to enjoy that genre more and enjoy some of the traditional ones more so you know with with luck we'll see a similar explosion and you know if if you're working on that now you'll probably be just 
you know, with, you know, fingers crossed for you, you'll be just as that explosion maybe takes off. So you'll, you'll see, you know, some success, or I shouldn't say some, you'll see a lot of success for uh, success for that as well. But, um, but yeah, no, I think if that's what you're working towards, that'll be great just because obviously, you know, with, with the success of some of the other ones that are slowly trickling out or being announced or, or what have you, there'll be a market for it. And I think it'll just be great to see how this market evolves and it explodes out because you know it's going to happen and i think that's going to be fantastic when it does you know yeah i'm hoping it will happen um and this is another interesting thing about being an indie dev because uh there's this uh common conception or misconception that uh you know imsims are uh, financially bad uh, but that's, I think that's the case mostly for like AAA companies. I don't know. Apparently they don't like them. They require <laughs> a lot of development time, a lot of investment, and uh, they just don't pay off. I don't know. Uh, I haven't analyzed this in depth, but yeah, I, you know, there's something that you realize, and uh, this is something that sort of pushed me towards this path. It's like the AAA industry, when you think about it, they started off, you know, basically 30, 40, 50 years ago in a garage, just making passion projects. And then they just kept growing and growing and uh, they kept expanding and they just ended up being this like huge Leviathan that has like uh, places in multiple countries where you have like hundreds or thousands of employees. You know, you have to pay your rents, you have to pay salaries. It's like this, this big beast that requires a constant supply of food. And you have to think about a bit about how the AAA companies perceive gaming, because for them it's like it's it's no longer about experimenting or about making interesting things. It's just about you know making that sausage and getting paid for it. So that's why I think a lot of companies nowadays are just uh, they're very stale and they make these like formulaic and stale games. So you know you have the the typical example with the Ubisoft making you know same Assassin's Creed game with like minor changes to it. And I think that's just the way the AAA industry works because, you know, you can't risk flopping too hard because then it's all going to come falling apart. So uh, this is the cool thing about indie devs is that you, you can you can go through these cracks. You can, you know, take these risks and uh, come up with something that's like exceptional and it can stand out for a lot of people. And I think Imsims are ripe for this. I mean, hell, look at the Cruelty Squad. You know, uh, <laughs> when I first saw Cruelty Squad, it was it's still in development, and I was like, "This game is gonna, f it's gonna, it's gonna blow." It's, it's just like I knew it. I knew, I knew deep down that this game is just crazy, and it's gonna gonna attract a lot of attention, and people are gonna talk about it, and they're gonna. Uh, be sort of like rattled by it because it looks so uh, so. Re I'm not sure if repulsive is the right word. I don't know. It's it's very provoking looking. So uh, yeah, you know, it's stuff like this that a lot. You know, like a AAA company would never make like a game like that. You know, so I think there's like a, an interesting balance between companies and uh, various game developers in the market. So. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a good time to be an indie dev. Thank uh, Lord Gaben for giving us Steam <laughs> and allowing us to actually make a living from this. 
You know, yes, I, I'm not going to disagree. Uh, you know, I'm not, I can't say, you know, from the standpoint of an indie dev, but I can say from the standpoint of someone that enjoys indie games, you know, I've always, you know, I've said this multiple times and I'll probably say it for many years to come. But one of the things I love about the indie scene is that, you know, like you, you kind of said it, it's, it's like a passion project in a lot of cases, right? You're not beholden to, um, you know, a board of a directors or a big set of investors. Uh, you're largely, you know, beholden to whatever money you're putting into it or whatever you're willing to put into it. And I love that a lot of indie stuff seems to just be people saying, well, this is the kind of game I would like to see. And it's just throwing stuff at the wall and going, well, okay, that worked. And moving forward from there. And I don't mean that in a bad way because, you know, without without the risks that indie devs are willing to take, you know, you're not going to see some of like the wildest, wildest things like Cruelty Squad, for example. And, you know, I can say with absolute authority, it took a day or two for me to actually translate what I was seeing on the screen. And, you know, I, I kind of got it after every, after the hype, after everyone started talking about it. And I was like, okay, if other people are saying this game is not bad, <laughs> you know, like when, I think for me, it was when Civi, I think it was, came out and went, no, no, people needs to look at this game that I went, well, okay, if it's got his seal of approval, despite, I think him saying he hates that people look to him for that seal of approval or what have you, but, um, but, you know, when he gave that seal approval on, okay, well, maybe it isn't as janky as it looks. And, you know, after a day or two of trans, uh, just seeing everything, it wasn't, I, I, I want to say, it wasn't just noise that I was seeing. You know, my, my significant other, she had watched me playing it a few times, and she only saw noise. You know, I streamed it to some friends on Discord, and they could only see noise. But for me, everything on that screen was making perfect sense. And, you know, had it not been for them being willing to make that attempt to do what they did, you know, we not we would never have seen that kind of game. And because they're taking that risk, I think I've seen some some other devs who are taking uh, who have or are taking like a similar kind of aesthetic approach. And, you know, they're putting their own twist on things. And, you know, I, I wish them the best in the way they're doing it because it, it looks interesting. And it would have looked interesting without the aesthetic choice um, based on the mechanics. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just trying to say that, yes, you know, I, I really do think it's fantastic, you know, the amount of indie devs that are existing and the amount of risks they're willing to take. Because, you know, kind of like you said, they're, you know, we're going to see... Uh, we might not see, you know, on one end of the spectrum, we'll see like really unique, cool things. And on the other end of the spectrum, we might see like an indie devs attempt at something like Assassin's Creed, but there will, you know, there's more than likely going to be a focus on a mechanic that's highly polished or done very differently or, or what have you. And I absolutely love just seeing what the indie scene is, is wanting to do because you know, they're, they're willing to take the risks because for them, it's, you know, let's be honest, it's about money. Like, obviously you want, you want to eat, you got to eat, but you know, it's not just about money. It's not about saying, oh, Hey, we need to release call of duty 2021. Oh, it's been 
eight months, we have to now get ready to release Call of Duty 2022 or like FIFA, you know, whatever, whatever. It's like, it's not, the focus is different. And I, that's the, that's the best thing about it. I know I rambled a lot there and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're, you're perfectly on point And it's the same with head-on. Like, uh, head-on really was just a game intended for me and myself only. It's, you know, the fact that other people liked it was, a, was an added bonus. But other than that, you know, I just wanted to make my own weird merge between like an FPS and like Hexen and like an Imsim. And, uh, you know, I wanted it to have like uh, sexy orcs and goblins and uh, <laughs> and like weird crystal punk technology and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, it just it came along to get uh, came along nicely because, again, it, it did uh, stand on years upon years of world building and planning and me uh, being sort of uh, honest with myself and realistic and asking myself, you know, would this make sense? Would people like this? Would would they just consider it completely stupid and uh, shrug it off? Because here's another thing, uh, and you, you did say it about Cruelty Squad. It's like you need to have some sort of fan base in order to to... Uh, allow your game to grow more popular because if nobody talks about it, uh, especially positively, uh, they're just gonna see it as some sort of like weird, crappy game. Like I don't know, you know, just they're they're not gonna be willing to give it a chance. That's the thing. So, I I think this is one of the most difficult things for, uh, and it's not like there's a way to handle it. You know, if you're gonna take a risk, you're just gonna have to do your best, and uh, you know, just put uh, keep putting wood on the fire and keep fanning those flames, and hope that your game's gonna live up to to what you made it to be. That's the thing. And uh, yeah, I did take a whole bunch of risks with Head-On. Uh, I do say this a lot. Uh, I wasn't even intending on having Zan as a as a protagonist for it, but uh, you know, it's sort of like tempting fate sometimes like I, I was like you know if I want people to talk about this game you know Zan might be a more interesting character because uh, she has a history she looks like you know she's thick and muscular and stuff like that and I'm like you know it's yeah some people are gonna think it's stupid but uh, they're just gonna you know it's, it's gonna be like something interesting about the game and that's the thing you need interesting aspects for a game to get people to talk about it you know even if they, they talk smack about it and they don't like it they're still talking about it you know people still know about the game and uh in this regard you know i've been sort of like pressing in this direction to to help head on grow and oh boy it's been growing a lot i mean i was really not expecting when uh, releasing blood right which by the way was <laughs> released as a free update because that's uh, that's like one of the other risks that i took because my, my thought process was like, uh, you know, I have this game and uh, I could release a second game, which is like a good financial idea because uh, Steam does give you a lot of uh, initial exposure and you're, you're going to make like a solid chunk of money by just putting your game up on Steam. And uh, yeah, Steam's going to direct a whole bunch of people to your game, even if it might not look like it. It's a very big platform. It's got millions of people on it, so it's definitely worth it. And I knew that if I was going to release Bloodright as an update, uh, it would just completely miss out on that attention. So, uh, yeah, I was pretty torn on it. Uh, but on the other hand, I knew it would be like a, a very Chad move and that people would really appreciate it. 
So that's what essentially what I banked on. Like it was a meme. It's like, hey, I released the game for basically free. I mean, I did increase the the base price of the game to reflect it, but you know, everyone who had the game essentially got a new game for free, and Bloodright was also like uh, way bigger than the original head-on. So uh, you know, it's stuff like this. It's you know, y you can play with this kind of stuff. Uh, you see this a lot with like uh, New Blood and uh, especially Dave Vashri. Like he's really a marketing genius. Like he does this thing where it's it's just you know funny in a way and people love it. So yeah, that's uh, you know it's good lessons for indie devs out there, and it's stuff that the AAA industry just can't really do. And yeah, exactly. I don't everything you said. I I understand. And I I agree. You know. Um... I agree. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a major risk and, you know, smaller, smaller publishers or devs or what have you are more ripe to take advantage of those kind of scenarios. Now, Zan, I do want to ask you this as well, just because, you know, talking about, you know, previously mentioning things that, you know, head on was a game that you wanted to make for you, a game that was primarily directed at things that you would like. Can you, you know, can you speak to maybe what your, your favorite game was as a child? Um, you know, because I'm curious where, you know, Head On was a game that you made for you to like. I'm curious where some of, you know, those other games that you might have liked, where they, where they compare, if you will. When I was a kid, I used to play, like, exclusively car games. Like, I didn't care about anything else. I was really into cars. Which is kind of funny because I, I completely switched over. Like I had this moment when I was about six or seven uh, when I just switched from cars to guns. Uh, <laughs> much to the dismay of my uh, parents. <laughs> and uh, I actually grew up with uh, Milsims. I grew up with Delta Force and with Arma. And uh, I think uh, I, I played, I remember playing Quake 2 and I really. I thought it was kind of like weird, you know, me being used to more, uh, I guess, more realistic games and shooters, uh, going to this sort of like fast-paced game that I couldn't really understand. However, I did uh, have Serious Sam, uh, and Serious Sam, I guess, was my first major retro FPS that I played like a whole lot of times. Like I played that game again and again, and yeah, uh, I really loved it. It's a very colorful game, and that's something that uh, bears an inspiration into Head-On, because Head-On is also a pretty colorful game. Like, I, I strive to make uh, use of the entire color palette for it, because uh, usually a lot of developers uh, tend to rely on, like, monochrome, or, like, you know, it was that period of time where everyone was making, like, brown and gray games because it made them look more sober and more realistic. And I was like, you know, I... Because that's the thing, you know, it's it's one of the factors that pushed me into making head-on. It's I just felt like games were becoming worse. Like, I, I just, I don't know, I was stuck in that period when I was playing, like, Serious Sam and uh, Delta Force and whatever. And these were, like, colorful games. They were games that uh, uh, gave you a lot of freedom in a way. And they weren't, like, you know, these corridor-based uh, interactive movies with, like, quick-time events and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I guess we can uh, can trace the the origins of my favorite games to like uh, well outside of Mill Sims, which I still love and play today. I guess Serious Sam, and I also played the uh, Duke. I had the uh, Duke Nukem Manhattan Project, and that led to me uh, playing Duke 3D, which I also had like this odd fascination towards. And I think uh, 
up to this day, the thing that I love so much about that game is the level design. I think that that had such a strong mark on me, like Duke's sort of like interactive, somewhat realistic game design. <laughs> it, it has such a charm to it that uh, that served a lot of inspiration for me. And I do hope that one day I, I will be able to make a game using the the build engine uh, in, in a similar fashion to Duke. Um, so yeah, other than that, of course, Thief uh, had a huge inspiration on me. Uh, Thief at that time was the, the first game that sort of like introduced stealth as a way of playing a game. I know nowadays this sounds weird because there's a lot of games that sort of have this by default. Like you can either be a warrior or you can just go ahead and sneak and do silent takedowns and stuff like that. But back then, uh, Thief was really new as a concept for me. And I, I do remember that the first time when I played it, I was just going around attacking people with the sword. Like I was completely unaware that you could just, you know, use the shadows and sneak around and stuff like that. And as I started to understand that and I started learning more about the game, I just grew increasingly fascinated with it. And uh, yeah, it, it stuck with me for sure, <laughs> which is why I'm making like a, a, a thief-like imsim now, I guess. So yeah, there you go. It's, uh, you know, uh, Serious Sam, Duke 3D. Uh, eventually, you know, I, I started playing like the usual, like Call of Duties whatever, Halos, and uh, uh, as time went by, I just felt like they were increasingly unappealing to me. Uh, I felt like they were becoming more and more dumb. And uh, yeah, at some point, I just uh, thought about analyzing why do I like these older games so much? I mean, is it just contrarianism or is there something to it? And uh, I think the key element of the analysis was the, the level design itself because these older games just flow completely differently. They just give you like this level which you can explore in whatever way you wish and you can you can improvise in some ways. You know, you can do stuff like rocket jumping to reach certain areas, which is stuff that's just no longer available in your regular modern warfare AAA shooter. And again, I think uh, this is why these older games have so much soul to them. I mean, think about Duke Nukem. The game just gives you a, a damn jetpack. I mean, the level designer is just, here you go, bro. You know, you can break the level in whatever way you want. You can explore it vertically. Uh, you know, it's the game's not going to take your jetpack away at a, a certain point in order to make sure that you're not going to explore the level in a, a way that's not uh, intended. And, you know, it's details like these that once you realize them, you start to understand what made these retro FPS games stand out and why it's worth going back to the roots and uh you know exploring these design choices really yeah you know and i i i understand what you're saying and yeah it's it's it was a very different philosophy or approach then and you know now there there certainly are games that have big open you know hubs or levels or, or what have you but you know i understand what you're saying and that a lot of you know, a lot of games have kind of segregated things, not segregated, have kind of um, like narrowed things down to, you know, kind of be more linear in the fact that you're always pressing onward, which is not a, always a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's nice to be, it's nice to have the uh, variety so that way that's not your only option. And 
you know, it's, it's, sorry, it's, it's good, uh, it's, you know, it's good to see that we're getting those options explored more uh, from, you know, some big studios are putting stuff out as well, where they're also trying to kind of take a step back, but also, you know, again, back to the whole indie thing that, you know, there's a focus there. And I think it's just great that the options for what we have available to us are, is ever expanding. Yeah, I think there is this uh, this idea that, uh, well, I think the game that sort of like changed the course of uh, shooters was Half Life. Half Life was uh, very influential for for all these like uh, linear uh, scenario or story driven games, I guess. And uh, Half Life is a really great game. Like I, I recently played Black Mesa, uh, and uh, yeah, it, like you can sort of see the apex of linear design in there. Uh, it's, but you know, it's like it got taken further and further refined and people just sort of like forgot that, you know, there's other ways to handle the design of a shooter. And yeah, as you said, it's it's great that we can have these, these many options nowadays. Like, you know, if you want to play your cinematic experience, you can do it. Uh, and honestly, I'm just, fine with that like you know i i do enjoy some of the call of duty games it's like you know it's kind of like relaxing almost it's like you know again <laughs> watching an interactive movie uh, in a sense so uh, yeah it's you know we all ha we all stand to benefit from this I'm yeah not saying, you know it's we should all be making retro fps i'm just saying that it's worth uh reevaluating their their value <laughs> well sort of and uh yeah, trying to understand what made them special because that's something that can stand on its own nowadays. You know, it's not something that's outdated, period. It's just, you know, it's just the way the the other games and the AAA industry has evolved following, like, Haloing, Half-Life and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, there's there's something I spoke to, to someone else previously about, and they the term that they used, and I, I just, I can't remember who, who they were and, you know, I, forgive me if you're if you're listening or, or what have you um but the the thing the term that they used that i really liked and i think it kind of speaks in the same way for how you're talking about like a, how you enjoy like a game like call of duty and in you know for some people those are those are games that are going to be like sugar you know you just you get your you get your hit and it's you know it gives you that that little rush it gives you that and then you know the sugar dies down and and you know it's it's no longer I don't want to say it's no longer enjoyable, but like the rush, the thrill of it is, is kind of gone and you have, you know, you just get a quick hit of it and then, you know, you, you move on to something else for a bit. And, you know, I don't think there's, regardless of how, what kind of games people use to get their, to get their rush, to get that sugar hit, right. You know, you know, there, whatever those games people get, but it's, it's always interesting to hear what those games are. And I don't mean to speak ill to, you know, to whatever games people use as you know for that uh, because you know we're all out our own tastes and it's 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 all it's always fantastic when you know you can course, you have yeah. what you like right but it's just it's it's interesting to hear what some people you know what their relaxing game is or or what have you kind of like you know you had mentioned that you know it's kind of relaxing in a way and you know for me those games are are not relaxing just because that's not the kind of uh, the person I am, it's like, I can't be in that mindset, but I love hearing 
how like some people you know they play high intense games or high action games like oh it's what i do to unwind or it's what i do to like relax and you know you have some people that play like league of legends or like dota 2 and you know those games which are uh for me are highly stressful those you know for other people like oh no these are just you know the opposite of stress right so it's it's always great to hear and yeah you know for i'm i'm happy that you know those games exist uh like call of duty for example you know because there's obviously a market for it and people are, enjoy it and i'm happy they enjoy it but like it's great when studios and such are expanding right yeah pretty much everyone's entitled to their own preferences uh i mean you know i uh one of the my comfort games is actually very stressful it's it's a an online meal sim uh where you have to pay a lot of attention and you have to communicate with people and you have to do all sorts of stuff and it's just not relaxing, but I still go to it at the end of the day. Well, uh, not so much anymore because I, I really just didn't have time to play a lot of video games lately, but uh, still, yeah, I mean, whatever works for you. Um, yeah, what? recently, because I, I think you're you're interested uh, since that was one of the questions. Uh, I have played a few games recently. Uh, usually when I play games, I have like two kinds of approaches. Uh, sometimes I play them for the sake of inspiration or, uh, you know, sort of like doing some sort of research for work, I guess. Um, or just, you know, trying to, to immerse myself or uh, get some inspiration for like visuals or atmosphere, because that's very important. And there are other games that I'm just curious about. And I, I hear that they're really good and I, I'm going to try them out. And one of these games that I was actually pretty excited to try out was uh, the new Doom, uh, the one released in 2016, actually, because I, yeah, it, it took me like three years to to get to playing it. And uh, funnily enough, I just didn't like it, uh, which is weird because, you know, people might think that, you know, Zan's working in GZ Doom, he likes his Doom games, but uh, I don't know, like, it just didn't do it for me. Uh, I was a Honestly, expecting it to be a bit different. I was expecting it to be like uh, Doom, but with uh, modern graphics. Uh, but yeah, the new Doom games just sort of like do their own thing, and that's just great. Like uh, I always say, this I I don't say that they're bad games. I just say that you know they're not my type of games. Like I get it. You know, it's a game where you do the rip and tear thing, and you feel like a badass, and there's like cool music going on, <laughs> and that's just really great. I mean. It does a good job at doing that, and you know, if you like it, great. But it's just not my kind of thing. Like the same way I don't like fine League of Legends, I just don't care much about that. So yeah. So I am curious, just because you know, Doom twenty sixteen and Doom Eternal are, um, they're different games. Uh, I'm curious, have you tried Doom Eternal, or are you avoiding it after not really enjoying twenty sixteen? I haven't tried it because I have a whole lot of other games in the backlog, but I did uh, look up some reviews. I did look up the gameplay, and I have to say, I think overall, uh, Doom Eternal is a lot... It comes together a lot better than Doom 2016. I feel like it uh, it knows what it wants to be a lot more than Doom 2016. Uh, it's a lot more, uh, more focused. It's a lot more uh, specific on what it wants to be. And uh, if I were to... to Compared to, I'd say that Eternal is probably better than 2016 from like a, an objective design standpoint. Uh, so yeah, other than that, I don't know. I don't have a lot of opinions about them. Well, 
hopefully I'm not going to speak much to it because you haven't you haven't played it. So you know what I'm what I would say won't make a whole lot of sense or functionally might not make a whole lot of sense. But hopefully you know in the future it's it, when it is on sale, um, you know you're able to pick it up. And I only say that uh, you know not that I you know not that I would overly advocate only buying games on sale, but for for games uh, for people that are unsure if they will like a game i 100 percent advocate buying those games on sale but you know if it's on sale at a, at a reasonable price for you um and you get a chance to play it you know i i hope that it's something that you might enjoy a little more just because it is a different game than doom 2016 and if there were aspects of 2016 you did enjoy um you know you might enjoy eternal some more and that's all i really say to that just because you know you haven't played it i don't want to there isn't much to try and, you know, draw out or drag out from that, you know? Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe, I don't know, I have like a, a sour taste from a, a much older game that reminds me of Doom 2016, which is called uh, Bulletstorm. You might have heard of it. <laughs> uh, Bulletstorm was marketed as this sort of like uh, neo-retro FPS back then. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it essentially was marketed uh, making fun of Call of Duty. So, you know, all the tropes from Call of Duty, like stuff like turret sections and quick time events and whatever, it was just making fun of it. And it's like, ah, oh, you know, our game is like bad and you're gonna kick people around and you're gonna have cool looking weapons and uh, I was like very excited to play it and I started playing it and I realized that this is essentially Call of Duty but with kicking people around so I was like uh, really disappointed with it <laughs> and it even has like a turret section and stuff like that so it was kind of like a kind of like a fall F retro FPS, aesthetically speaking. And the thing that kind of annoyed me so much about it is that it insisted so much on you using this like combo system where you had to like constantly perform some sort of combination between either, you know, throwing people in the air and then shooting them or I don't know, uh, throwing them in like, uh, what do you call those? Uh, terrain hazards, like hazards, like spikes and stuff. And all I really wanted was to just run and gun people. Like, I, I didn't want the game to constantly make me do this combo thing and see high numbers pop up on the screen. I just wanted to shoot these weapons at people. But that was ineffective because the game designers really wanted you to make these sort of, like, combinations. They, they wanted you to dance, you know, do the dance. And this is kind of what I didn't like about Doom 2016. You know, it really wants to perform these, like, executions and do the dance. And, you know, it's like... You know, if you want that, perfectly fine. Like, it's again, I'm saying this, it's not a bad game. I don't think it's a bad game. I think it's a good game. It's just not my kind of thing. So, yeah, uh, as far as I've uh, seen footage from Eternal, it just looks like, uh, again, it looks like an improvement of that. You know, it's, it's, it wants you to, it wants to give you that bad killing machine rush where you just go around and you murder things at high speed and you, do these executions and you have to manage like your ammo and your armor it's like uh you know how did they call it like a a, a shooter chess yeah it's so yeah. this this is what i'll say for eternal based on what you just said about what you didn't enjoy um i would personally advise you to probably not pick it up um because if those aspects of 2016 soured you um you would probably can like the those those aspects are ramped up more so in in eternal um and you know i don't say that to try and speak ill of 
do maternal. I say that more to potentially, you know, not advise you to spend money on something you might not enjoy. Um, just because, you know, those, the aspects of micromanaging your, your health, your armor, your, your ammo and whatnot, it's, it's a lot of chess, you know, the enemies in eternal, um, you know, each one is kind of, you have a certain gun to take it down or an advised gun to take it down, but you have to manage those glory kills or whatever they're called to then, you know, uh, get your health back. And it's, it's a lot of juggling. And, you know, I, for what you're, what you're talking about, and, you know, I forgot all about Bulletstorm and I, the, the existence of it. And, you know, I, I get the connection because I think Bulletstorm you know, what you were talking about, what the, what the aim was, all I was hearing was their attempt to make something like Devil May Cry, but as like a first person shooter. And, you know, I don't think they did that relatively successfully. You know, I don't want to be despairing to anyone that worked on Bulletstorm or what have you, um, because, you know, functionally it was an interesting game. There was a well thought out concept and, you know, how they wanted it to work out. Um, but it was very much a product of the late early like the late 2000s early 10s right yeah um, pretty much and you know for for if for what it is for a product of that era i think it was fine moving back to it is a lot harder um just because we are you know we're 10 years later basically from when that game would have first came out i know it got some updates or what have you but um but yeah, no, I understand what you're looking for or or what you're what you were hoping it would be, right? And yeah, it's it's it that, those kind of yeah, it just that that wasn't that kind of game. Yeah, and, anyway, all sorry. things considered, I I'm actually glad that Doom 2016 and Eternal came to be because they're so successful and you know they're they they really are an example of, you know, uh, maybe yeah, they are AAA games, I mean, let's face it. It, it's an example of AAA, you know, making taking some risks and making something that's just different. So in that regard, I'm I'm really happy for Doom, the new Doom games. Yeah, far be it from me to ever speak ill of games successfully evolving what they are or or working towards evolving. Um, you know, and I, you know, when I was younger, I really enjoyed um, arcade shooters, and uh, I, uh, you know the in in my mind an arcade shooter was something like you know serious sam when it came out because you know doom or doom likes at that point in time to really date my to say how old i am but like you know the the arcade shooter and then the doom likes were were you know one did like the arcade shooters came from that but they diverged very differently you know in in serious sam or games like serious sam it's sometimes a literal onslaught of you know, enemies for 10, 30, 40, you know, five minutes where you're just gunning them down. And, you know, personally, I, I grew out of being able to enjoy those games only because, um, it always felt to the, 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 the constant pressure from them always felt too, too much, um, when the pressure was on and it was, you know, just not a thing for me, but, you know, those games evolving to, to newer ways or those games still existing is great because my father, for example, absolutely loves those games. And, you know, it's it's great that they exist, but I also really love when those games evolve and you get to see 
kind of like a modernization of the two, you know, the, the, what would have been like a doom, like, and like an arcade shooter, seeing them merge to produce newer things. And it's, I'm, I love seeing modern takes on them is all I'm really trying to get at. Sorry. Yeah. It's also a thing that, you know, I have this strong conviction that art and culture generally evolve in like a, well, not a circle, but a spiral. So it's not always, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure as hell rhymes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I get what you mean. It's it's really interesting to see this going on. You know, I like that history doesn't repeat itself, but it, it rhymes. Yeah, I'm not um, sure who said it, but someone said it. It's a good quote. Yeah, it is. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, um, now Zan, I don't want to take too much more of your time. However, uh, I am curious, you know, what what is it outside of gaming do you do? You know, like what kind of, you know, what kind of hobbies do you have? What kind of things do you enjoy that aren't strictly related to games? Now, I know that that could be a, a loaded question because I have asked that to some people where in which they say, well, no, all I do is game. Uh, so, you know, don't feel compelled to say to, to make something up if all you do is game, you know? All I do is game, really. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, you spend all your day in front of a computer making a game and then how do you relax? Well, you play games. I don't know. It's, uh, and even that, like I said, oftentimes I do it in a, in an academic purpose. Like I play a game just so I can grab a bit of inspiration from there. Uh, but still, you know, it's, I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it, so... Yeah, I I am uh, obviously trying to take care of my health, so don't worry about that. I'm not just, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm actually for two years now I've been consistently exercising and doing some workout at home, so I'm doing pretty well on that front. Uh, so yeah, I I think I'm far from like suffering from some sort of like ugly addiction of video games, which is something that I dealt with in my teenage years and. Uh, uh, in a way, I regret it. In a way, I don't regret it because, it, you know, everything you do kind of leads you to the person that you are nowadays. So uh, there you go. I, I actually, I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft. And the funny thing is that, you know, for all the time I wasted in that game, I also met some uh, people that had uh, an impact on my development. And, uh, you know, including uh, the guy who taught me how to draw, which, you know, without that, I wouldn't have been able to make head on. So... It's stuff like this that helps, you know, it's uh, whatever hobby you have, you know, as long as it's not destroying your health, you know, just keep doing it. Don't worry about it. And if it's destroying your health, try to, to do it in a way in which it doesn't do that. You know, I I like that that philosophical approach or view of, of things. And, you know, I myself have my own kind of take on that in a very similar way. And... I think that is very important to remember that the actions you do today are going to make the you of the future, right? And, you know, it's, we can sometimes look back on things we have done in our life that we, that we regret. And, you know, uh, if you really, really get introspective with yourself, you can actively find where things you did that you regret had absolutely no bearing on your future other than knowing that that was a dumb thing to do. But then you look at it some more and you go, well, I should have been smart enough to know that was a dumb thing to do, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. But, you know, I think that's important to remember and keep in mind that, you know, if 
you know, it's if 10 years, 15 years, whatever down the line, you look back at your youth and you're like, oh, yeah, I wasted away playing WoW or, or, you know, whatever it was, right? But if you, you know, if you take an extra step to that and think about the relationships that you made, um, the experiences that you had, like, you know, there's a lot of focus. Well, there was. Now the focus is much different just because uh, as, as technology advances and, and like, I'm going to say this not in a negative way, but like, you know, the difference between, you know, being a millennial online and being like a Gen Z um, is, is, is very different. And that, you know, the, the level of acceptance to spend more time online and to have more online friends is very, is well, it's large, it's accepted more. So, you know, for my generation, cause I am a, like, I'm a core millennial. I was born in 1988, which means I was just growing up just as the internet was really coming to fruition. So I kind of experienced the, 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 the best of when the internet was a wild, the wild west. And, you know, you had just things being thrown at the wall to see what happened. And like, for, for me, it, there was the negative connotation that I spent a lot of time online, um, which I'm happy to, you know, happy to know that like, you know, the next generation on, you know, the kids under me are, don't have as such negative connotation just because it's more accepted. But, you know, for, for my generation, I think it's important that if we are being introspective about it, that we also keep in mind that you probably have a lot of very important relationships to your life, you know, very important, a lot of experiences that may not have been the same as when you were younger or someone that's a little older, but you still have those great experiences where like you got to meet and talk to someone when you were like, you know, 13, you got to talk to someone from like Sweden or from Finland or, or, or what have you, you got to get these really interesting changes in worldviews. And, you know, like I said, now looking at it, people might give you a hard time when you're, you know, then whatever now, even for your age. But I think it's just um, important to look back and actually accept that, you know, you did a lot of stuff that made you who you are. And sometimes a lot of those experiences are largely for the better. And, you know, you, you, you make lifelong friendships with people. Like for me, I, I met people not through WoW, but for through through other things like IRC or what have you that I still talk to, that they are, you know, people that I relied on a lot when I was growing up. And like they're fundamentally part of who I am. They're they're the the advice that they would have gave me is, you know, is is important to me and I still hold it and it's still something that may like has created who I am. Um, sorry, that was a very long kind of convoluted windy way of just saying, yes, I agree. And, you know, it's, it's important to understand and accept that what we have done in our past largely creates who we are and we should be happy with that when looking back on it, you know? Yeah. And if, uh, honestly, if I were to wrap up this entire conversation, you know, if, uh, we're talking about being an indie developer, uh, really, you just have to be honest with yourself and you have to make the most of the, uh, out of the circumstances that you're finding yourself in and uh, just keep growing and you'll be fine. Like, you know, if life gives you lemons, just make lemonade. Yes, you know, uh, exactly. Yeah, you know, make the best of, of what you have and, 
you know, sometimes the best of what you have is, is pretty good. And you can also make something really great with it. Right. Like it, you know, sometimes, you know, just make good stuff. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm trying to go somewhere with that when I shouldn't be. Yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. I mean, that's what we should try to make. We should make good stuff. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, anyway, so Suzanne, as I said a, a few moments ago, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. However, if there was anything else that you wanted to discuss, you know, maybe a cool game, uh, you know, you've already talked about what you're doing, but if you want to add on to it, by all means, or just something that you feel more people should be aware of, uh, please, the floor is yours as well. Uh, let everyone know where they can find more information about you, uh, which I'll also be including in the episode description for you. Uh, you know, I think more people should try out GZ Doom. I mean, a lot of stuff in there is just free. And once you learn how to set it up, it's, you know, you're just going to have a lot of content to enjoy. And uh, uh, there's some particular exceptional works that you can just play right now for free, like uh, Ashes 2063. Uh, shout out to Vostok, a great friend of mine. And... Uh, there's, you know, you can just look up uh, Mr. Icarus and you're going to find the Doom Mod Madness series and you're going to see a whole lot of great other mods in there. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you don't have anything fun to play, maybe you should uh, try out some mods. That's a great idea. It gave me like years upon years of uh, enjoyable gaming experience. Uh, other than that, you can find me in the usual places. I'm uh, head on dev on Twitter. Uh, you know, you can find head on on Steam and if you Google it, you can probably find like all the other links. I'm also active on Patreon, uh, on Discord. So yeah, you know, you can look me up wherever you need, you want. And that's pretty much about it. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. And yeah, you know, uh, I, I am going to, I'll include links to, to, uh, to the Ashes 2063 and, you know, Mr. Icarus as well for you, but as well, including, you know, all of your information. So that, as I said, anyone that wants to learn more about any of those things are, will have easy access to just click through and, and learn, you know? Sure. However, Zan, if there wasn't anything else, if that was, if you were good, I will let you get back to your day working on your secret projects, I guess you would say. Uh, and also just, you know, let you enjoy the rest of your, your day or your evening in your case, because it's, it's a little later for you. And I still got a lot of work to do. Uh, life of an indie dev, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was a pleasure. I am. The pleasure was all mine, Zan. You know, thank you so much for, for making the time to have this conversation with me. Sure. See you later. Yeah. So thanks again, Zan, for making the time to have this conversation with me. And thank you for joining us on the Red Tuna podcast, as well as a special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for the use of music from the title track from Road Steep. And if you like this podcast and want to support it and help it grow, please subscribe or follow me on Twitter at Red Tunic Podcast to receive the latest episodes and news. And be sure to share with those you think might also enjoy it. Thanks until next time.